We've made it to uh, week five of our more Jesus study of Colossians. So congratulations. And now we've made it to the second chapter. So that's big news, right? It only took us five weeks. Oh, that was funny, guys. Come on. So this morning we're going to be uh, looking at Colossians 2, 1 through 5. And we're going to be talking about spiritual knowledge because, as the song says, God does know better than we do. And even though we know that intellectually, we don't really believe it, right? How many uh, are of you were the children that said, uh, I want to figure out for myself that the stove is hot, right? I want to find out for myself. Yeah, I know that didn't work out for you, but I'm different, right? A lot of times we want to experience something instead of just taking somebody else's word for it, which would be a wise thing to do, right? Today we're going to talk about how Paul is contending or struggling for the church because the information he has is so important because we have some um, enemies, right? We have some enemies of our faith. So I'm going to start just by reading it. So if you guys want to be with me, we're in Colossians 2, 1 through 5. It says this. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and a delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This morning, Paul's kind of transitioning. You know, we talked a lot about his prayer life. We talked about how uh, Jesus is our reconciliation, how Jesus is supreme. This we were talking about the message, right? And... um I love this first verse because Paul starts off by saying he wants them to know how hard he is contending. So the word in the Greek here is agnoia. And I know that because I looked it up on Google and I let them tell me how to pronounce it. So if I'm wrong, you have to blame Google. Um, But in in, uh, the NASB and the the, uh, NIV 84, the word translated there is struggle which I like a little better. Um, But then he uses this word. This word is written six times in the New Testament. It's also in Philippians 1.30, and it's translated as conflict. Okay, so this idea of conflict. And 1 Timothy 6.12, and also 2 Timothy 4.7, which are both basically the same verse, right? Where Paul's talking about the good fight. He's fought the good fight. And then in Hebrews 12.1, he's talking about this race. Right. So the idea here is this word is talking about the spiritual fight, struggle, race or conflict we all face every day. And Paul's facing something. Right. And we know traditionally part of what he's facing is that they don't know him. But there's also an enemy out there. Right. Uh, in fact, we know in Ephesians six twelve it says for our struggle is not against what flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities and against powers of the dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's this battle we're facing, right? And what Paul's trying to spread is what the knowledge of who Christ Jesus is, the good news of the gospel, the only way that we're going to have the spiritual weaponry we need to fight sin. 
And of course, the enemy doesn't like this. So he's struggling against the enemy, an enemy who's bigger, who's stronger, who's smarter, right? Who never needs rest. We have an enemy out there that's looking to devour us, who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Paul is struggling, but not just against that. That's one part of it. The other part is Paul is struggling to get a group of people who he's never met to trust and believe what he has to say. Now, how many of you guys have a hard time getting your own flesh and blood to listen to what you have to say? And this is just about simple stuff. But Paul is trying to impress the very core of the gospel, namely the mystery of God, who is Christ Jesus, this mystery that's been hidden to a people he's never met. And where is he doing it from? Prison. Paul's struggling. He's struggling on our behalf too, right? He says, for all who I've not met. Guess what? That's us, right? Because we're reading about it right here, right? We're reading the very words that were divinely inspired through Paul right now. He struggled for us. And this is a big deal because Paul's willingness to struggle so fiercely tells us two things. First, that the message itself is important, right? The message itself is that important. And we know that about Paul. If you've read the New Testament at all, you see how valuable Paul says the gospel is. In Romans 1, 16, says, well, it's the power of God for salvation, right? The gospel itself is the power of God for salvation, So Paul is talking about this message of who Christ is and letting us know the good news of God. And he's struggling and wrestling and fighting that they would know it. But number two, it tells us that he cares that they do know it. You know, so the message is important and it's willing to fight. He's willing to fight for it. But they're important to Paul. They are important enough to Paul that he would struggle against the enemy and against the lack of relationship in order to share this message with them. We're important to Paul. He didn't know us, right? But we were important. And that's crazy when you think about the fact that this guy's sitting in jail for his faith, for doing nothing wrong but sharing this message, and he's struggling. And he says, I want you to know how hard, tooth and nail, fighting the good fight, For us and for the church. And that's a big deal because sometimes I feel like we're not as willing to do the same thing. Right? I loved what Chris had to say. It's our responsibility. It's not my responsibility to go and baptize everybody. Right? It's all of our responsibility. It's it's a church-wide thing. And I hear the excuse all the time. I just don't feel like I know enough to share the gospel. You have Google, right? You have a cell phone. If you don't, you have a concordance, right? If somebody's dealing with something, the answer to it's right here. Do you guys believe that? Like, you don't have to know what the answer is. That's not the point. God knows what the answer is. It's hidden in Christ Jesus, right? All the knowledge and wisdom we need. You don't need to know. That's not an excuse, and it's not going to be an excuse before God. Or, man, I'm introverted. It's just not the way I get down. You know, God created me, right? Hey, look, there's plenty of extroverts like me that need to shut up. And the Bible says, be slow to what? Speak. You think that's going to be an excuse before God? Well, God, you made me a a talker. That's not going to work, right? 
It's not an excuse. We all should be contending and struggling as hard as Paul for the sake of this message. Because it's on his very back that you stand here today. And what kind of honor are we doing him if we're not doing the same thing? You know, we were, we were purchased at a cost for a purpose, not just so that we can be free. So that we could be free to live the way God originally intended us to live. Remember going back a few weeks, we talked about we were created for his glory. He's glorified in what Paul's doing right here. Because Paul is making known this mystery, who Christ Jesus is. And we're called to do the same thing this morning. In verse 2, Paul shares the purpose, or in the NIV 84 says the goal of his struggle. So what is he trying to accomplish? He wants to encourage them in heart. How many of you guys can use a little encouragement this morning? And if we're honest, sometimes doesn't it feel like the least encouraging place you can go is church? If we're going to be honest. Because what, I got to have my crap together when I come to church, right? I can't show that I'm hurting. I can't show that I'm failing. I can't show that I'm falling. Heaven forbid somebody might, what, judge me? You know, so we went out Sunday and we... um did these interviews and we were uh, the youth group and I, and we went around and asked people four questions. Do you think it's important for somebody to be involved in a faith-based community? Why or why not? What do you think the possible benefit could be if somebody was involved in a faith-based community? Why or why not? Or what, what would be the potential harm? You know what? 80% of them said judgment. 80% and these aren't, we're just walking around downtown Springfield. Like, we started in the square, we walked around, we asked strangers. You could tell maybe one or two of them were Christians. That's it, out of all the people we talked to. 80% of them said the harm could be caused by a faith-based community's judgment. So it's not, like, it's nothing that even unbelievers don't know. Do you think that's attractive to them? Do you think that our God's attractive because they feel like they're going to be judged if they came at who they, as who they were? You know, when you're thinking about this right now, about yesterday, I'm on Facebook seeing the rants and the ravings, right? Everybody knows what happened yesterday. If you don't, then you need to uh, turn on the TV um, about our new Supreme Court justice situation, right? And it's like, man, there is such polarization over something that really doesn't matter. You think America is going to matter in a thousand years? I promise you it won't. If the earth is still here, America will be long gone. Yet we're polarizing over something so silly. And how encouraging is that when people go on there? That's not encouraging to see people yelling at each other, arguing with each other, making it about this, that, and the other. That's not encouraging. The purpose of what Paul's doing is to encourage the church, right? And then the second thing is to unite us in love. And a lot of times we're united in something other than love. Right? We can be united in the way we want our order of service. We kind of deal with that here, right? To some extent. We have two different times that we call worship, right? But yet, they look a lot different because there's a lack of unity in what? What kind of music we play? I mean, literally, that's the difference. I go every week. So I, I think I have a pretty good pulse on that. I mean, every week for the last, what, seven months, I've come to both services, and the difference is the type of music we play. Why? That's not unity. And again, I don't care that people have preference, and I don't care that we have different services, but how many of you guys have a good relationship with people from first service? 
because you never see them because of lack of unity. That's what Paul is encouraging the church in its infancy to. In its infancy, you don't think he saw this coming? You don't think he knew that there would be such division? I mean, we have, what, 3,300 denominations, roughly? Is that unity? Because what, somebody didn't like something? So we can't agree on some things outside of Christ, like women's role, right? Or the Church of Christ and the Christian Church, instrumental or non-instrumental music, how we should spend our missionary money, I mean, it's all ridiculous stuff. If we believe that the mystery of God is in Christ Jesus, that the knowledge that we need to know is held out in the gospel, can we have union? That's why I'm so excited about the 21st, because we're going to have, what, Methodists represented here, some kind of um, charismatic church. I don't know what hope officially is, right? A church of Christ, Christian church, and then Red Tree, which is a, a Baptist offshoot. That's a lot of different theology if you really sat down and talked, right? Not many people know that because most people in the pews don't really know what their theology of their church is, but that's a lot of different theology. And coming together around the banner of who? Jesus Christ. And that was Paul's reason and purpose, the goal of his struggle for the early church. And it should be ours too. And more importantly, these two things are prerequisites of having the full riches of understanding and knowing the mystery of God or knowing Jesus Christ. These are prerequisites. If you're not encouraged in heart, you can't have that. If you aren't united in love, you can't have that. That's what Paul says. That's not what Chris says. That's in scripture. Encouragement and unity in love precede knowing Christ. Think about what that means for just a minute. Paul is telling them that knowing Christ is only possible through spiritual things. You can't know Christ intellectually. You can't know Christ physically. You can only know Christ spiritually. In fact, this is no surprise, right? What does it say in John chapter 4? You guys remember the conversation Jesus is having with the Samaritan woman? And she says, well, where, where are we supposed to worship God? You know, there's this big debate between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Jews say in the temple in Jerusalem, we say up on this mountain, right? Jesus says, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come where true worshipers will what? Worship God in spirit and truth. Because God is spirit, so therefore true worshipers must worship in spirit. This is a spiritual thing. And the, and the one thing Western church doesn't do well is deal with spiritual things, Right? We very westernize Christianity. Think about this for a minute. Christianity is an Eastern religion, not a Western religion. Right? It started in the East. It comes out of Judaism, which is an Eastern religion, yet we've made it our own, right? And we deal with spiritual things. So we, we do things like go to Bible class and learn a lot of information that we don't put into practice. Right? Uh, we talk a lot. We like to have these Debates about theology instead of just going and being the hands and feet of Jesus to somebody today, where we already know what we should do. We wrestle with knowing God's will, but I wonder, do you think it's possible the reason we're struggling to have the full riches of understanding in our situation, to know what God's will is, and our situation is because we lack the encouragement of heart we need? Do you think that's possible? think you don't know what God wants because your heart's not encouraged? Because your heart's been hardened a little bit? Or maybe because 
you're lacking the honest unity that comes in love. Maybe that's why you don't know today. Because God desires for us to know his will. He desires us to know him. That's why he sent Jesus Christ. We read recently, I think it was either last week or the week before, that God was pleased to have the fullness of his deity dwell in Christ Jesus. That when you look at Christ, you can see the Father. There's no difference. Can we say the same thing about us? Not us as individuals, right? But us as a church. Because we're the body of Christ. So when people look at the entire body, they should see the image of who? The Father, right? That's a big responsibility, guys. I don't know that we take it very seriously. Because I feel like sometimes God is, is more like somebody that we go to to get something rather than somebody that we serve. We look at God as more of how can he serve us. And it makes sense that we fight, right? Because we don't feel like we're being served properly. So if I go to a restaurant as a patron versus an employee, I'm going to have a different experience there, right? And this morning, I would challenge you that you came here this morning not to be served, but rather to serve, You know, because we have a broken world out there that's in need of us. There's broken people in here that are in need of us. Paul exhorts the church in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. The Hebrew writer says this in Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Do you think he knew what he was talking about? You think that daily encouragement may be necessary, not just a suggestion? When's the last time every day of the week, one week, you had somebody encourage you spiritually with something about who Jesus Christ is in your life? You think your week would be a little different, having that reminder and that encouragement being built up? See, because a heart will become hardened if we fail to seek out, not only to seek out, but to give encouragement daily. Paul drives this uh, importance of this home in 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when we come together? Each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. What is the purpose of you being here today? He says must. That's an imperative, right? Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So I would would challenge us to say that this morning, the greatest measure of success is the level of encouragement that comes with building each other up. But not only encouragement, but also the unity we have in love. Love we have for each other, but where does that love start? The love that God had for us, right? God loved us first. Then we fell in love with God. And because we fell in love with God, we fell in love with his creation. And eventually when we became part of the body, we fell in love with his people. You know, there's a different standard that God has for how we treat each other. You guys know, realize that? When you look at John 13, 35, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know you're my disciples. It's interesting to me that most of the times in the church, we love the world way better than we love each other. And that's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. If you're a child of God, 
Guess what? You have a special place with God. If you're the bride of Christ, you have a special place with Christ. And that's okay to say. He does not love equally. And neither do you. You can't tell me that you care about anybody else outside of Christ more than your spouse. But yet that's the very way he defines us. But who usually gets the worst of you? Your spouse and your children, right? And we do the same thing with God. It's, it's no wonder we do it with God. So why, why wouldn't we do it with our earthly families, right? But we got to remember today, the purpose of us coming together is mutual encouragement and edification. That's why we're here. That's God's will for us, and he tells us that through the Apostle Paul. And that's Paul's purpose for writing the church, for his struggle and his fight. Are you struggling and fighting today to be an encourager, to be a uniter, to be a lover, to be a peacemaker? Paul puts it this way in Colossians 3.14, over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. We're going to watch a quick video on somebody that really took this seriously, that got to know God. Got to know God. Let's just watch this quick. Do you know God? Do you know God as what? Who? What does he do for you? Why is he interested in us? Why would he ever have the time of day to listen to my prayer? Who am I compared to God, the creator of the universe, the Alpha and Omega? It's a big thought. Um, For me, God is everything. For me, there were many times in my life where I did not have peace in my life and seeking the answers to many questions and of course being born without limbs I ask God why did this happen you know we always talk to God more on a bad day (laughs) we ask God for things we thank God for things but do you get to know him do you talk to him apart from just asking him for things because if I had a friend and I just called him up when I needed him it's not really a friendship do you know that he is excited to hear from you Do you know that you were on his mind before the earth began and he formed you in your mother's womb? That was such an amazing peace that I had at 15 years old to know that I finally have someone who's going to be with me through it all, who knows all my circumstances, who's bigger than my circumstances, not like my parents. My parents loved me. My parents were there for me. They were not going to leave me at all, but they couldn't change anything and they couldn't heal my heart. But God did. How cool is that? That He loves me so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. Who am I that God would ever want to even talk to me, let alone let His Son die for me? Jesus Christ, He died for my sins. But John 3.16 says God came and saved the world. He rescued us by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. In verse 17, it says Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save us. And when the world thinks, well, oh, well, Jesus is now the only way, the truth, and life. Yeah, it's because He is the only one who died for our sins. He is the only one who claimed that He was God in the flesh. He was the only holy one. He was the only one who faced the devil face to face and won. 
He was the only one who could raise himself from the dead. And when I believe in God and I receive him as my Lord and get to know him as my friend, that same spirit of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit, will raise me up from the dead. Amen, right? I like this because this is a good testimony. Like sometimes we read what people are saying in scripture and we think about it in kind of a stagnant way. But man, think about the encouragement that it's given Nick to know Christ Jesus through these words, right? Think about the unity and love that we have that we can watch a brother in the faith at some point in time in history, some place in, in that we know when we hear that gospel, when we know, when we hear the truth of who Jesus Christ is, we have unity and it stirs love watching. That should be an encouragement to us, but he also understands, you know, like if anybody has a reason to complain, it's Nick, right? As we're going to talk about just a minute, there's a lot of fine sounding arguments out in the world, but one could be, well, if your God is so loving and so awesome, then why was Nick born like this? Right? Did you hear Nick saying that? Now, certainly he had to have wrestled with that at some point, but instead, he saw the truth of the gospel that even though he was born that way, God still loved him. And that it wasn't a measure of God's love and that Jesus still came to rescue him. And it's brought him peace. He said what? It gave me a profound sense of peace. That peace that surpasses understanding this morning. So the question is like, do you know God today? Have you met Jesus? Have you experienced the life-changing presence of the Holy Spirit? That's what Paul's fighting for and what we should be fighting for for one another. That's what the church is about. In verse 4, Paul tells us the reason he is struggling so hard for the gospel message is because the world's full of smooth talkers and lofty philosophies, right? So I don't have much time. I got up here a little late, but we'll we'll sneak this in, okay? So I did a, a couple searches on things that Christians say that are unbiblical. Fine sounding arguments, right? First one, God won't give you more than you can handle. How many people have heard that or said that? That's false. Very false. Second Corinthians one, eight through nine. We do not want you to be uninformed brothers about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to Endure. What is that saying? Far beyond our ability to handle. Wait, but what if God doesn't give us more than we can handle? That's not biblical, right? So we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt sentenced to death. Oh, God will let you be in a situation far beyond what you can handle. A more truer statement is God won't give you more than you can handle without his help. Right? Because the reality is, our only help comes from who? The Lord. So God won't give us more than we can handle if he's with us. That's the hope held out in the gospel, right? And we know that he's not going anywhere. Jesus promises that in Matthew 28, 20. And I am with you always to the very end of the age. God's not going nowhere. It's not true to say God's not going to give you more than you can handle. So if somebody said that to you, I apologize. If you said that to somebody, you should repent. Because it's well meant, it sounds good, but it's not true. 
The only reason why you can handle anything in this life that's thrown at you is because Jesus Christ is with you. That's the only way. That's what we need to teach people. It's not about us. We like that in America because we're very what? Self, uh, what's the word? Well, self-indulgent comes to mind, but that's not what I mean. Um, We're very self-sufficient, right? Until we run into a brick wall. And then that can really affect our faith walk if that's what we believe about faith, that we can handle it on our own. We're all God's children. Incorrect. Right? We know from John 1, 12 through 13, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. God gave them the right to become children. They weren't previously children, though they were part of God's creation. Children not born of natural descent, nor human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Talking about being born again, right? Then we look at uh, 1 John 3.10. He says, this is how we know who the children of God are. So there's qualification for that. If everybody was one, then there would be no need to qualify that statement, right? And who's the children of the other one? And who the children of the devil are, right? And he says, anyone who does not... Do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. There's some measurement, right? But you'll hear this in our pluralistic society, right? Everybody's a child of God. There's multiple ways to God. Everybody's God's child. No, everybody's a part of God's creation. God does love everyone. But for those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who are born again, they've been given the right to become children of God by God's will. And guess what? God gets to determine that. And that doesn't make God bad. In fact, God can't be bad because by his very nature, he's what? Good. (laughs) But it it sounds really good. It's a fine-sounding argument in our culture, right? There's a bunch more, but I'm not going to go on with those. So I want to talk about why this is important. Because all these fine-sounding arguments, all these worldly regulations lead to this, what he's going to say, and I'm sure Seth is going to hit into this in the next couple weeks. Colossians 2.23 says this, Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. All these arguments, all these fine-sounding arguments, all these lofty theologies and philosophies come down to this lacking any value in restraining sensual indulgence meaning they don't matter they don't have any real impact they sound good they feel good but they don't work the only thing that works is the work of the holy spirit in the believer who surrendered their life to christ in restraining from the things god doesn't want you can't do it on your own so paul says this this is kind of cool this is how he finishes in verse five He says, I've never met you, right? Though I'm in prison 100 miles away from you, we are connected. He says, though I'm apart from you in body, I'm present with you in what? Spirit. There's a metaphysical or a spiritual link between the body of Christ through the Holy Spirit. And this seems to be an encouragement. He wants to encourage them. I'm not separate from you. Though we've never met, I know you. And I'm a part of you. We're in this together. And as we close, I want you to think about we're all connected with this spiritual connective tissue, tendons and ligaments, and even some nerve endings that allow us to feel one another's joy and pain. And Paul is delighting in their firm faith in Christ because he's a part of them and they are a part of him. In fact, we know what? 
We bear one another's burdens, right? We mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We're all one. So we've never met Paul, but I feel like I, I, can, I, I can say for sure that we're connected in spirit. I feel like I get where Paul's coming from, not because I'm smart, but because God has given us the ability through that connection we have with him to know the truth of what Paul's saying. This morning, my purpose and Paul's are aligned as they share this section of the letter with you. I'm praying that you be encouraged in your heart and be unified in love so that you may know the riches of complete understanding of the mystery of God, which is Christ, in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are stored. Do you know Jesus? Can you recognize his voice? Do you need prayer for encouragement this morning? Are you struggling to be unified in love because some things have come up in a relationship? Have some fine-sounding arguments pulled you away from the truth held out in the gospel? If we can pray for you or be a blessing to you this morning, please don't leave here without reaching out. You don't necessarily have to come forward. I know that's kind of intimidating. But we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to sit with you. We'd love to listen. And there's plenty of people around here who'd love to do the same thing. So please come forward now as we stand and sing.